Good morning, Watermark. It is great to be with you again. Some of you may be confused because you're like, I could have sworn I heard last week that we were going to be done with our politically correct God and government series. And you did hear that last week. But we've decided to give you some free bonus content. This is just for those in the room. Uh, as we talked amongst the leadership team, we decided that rather than jump back in this week into our First Timothy series, uh, which we're calling Focus, we'll, we'll do that next week, we thought it would be prudent to spend one more week um, sort of putting a bow on our God and government series. As we, uh, I think, spent three weeks hopefully providing some helpful content on how you can think biblically about candidates and issues. And I know that uh, the election's Tuesday, I think we all know that. And um, there are still, I'm sure, some folks that are coming in here feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit uncertain. Um, maybe the, the backpack that we all kind of walk through life with feels a little heavier right now. And so we thought there is no better way to spend this Sunday than to spend some time in prayer uh, and worship together. And so what we're going to do this morning, as David mentioned, is going to be a little different. We're going to have, um, call it three movements this morning, where uh, we're going to go back through the institutions that Blake Holmes taught on week two of family, government, and church. And we're going to pray specifically for each one of those institutions. And so there's going to be a, um, we're going to do a congregational reading. We've selected some uh, scripture passages for each one of those, and we'll read them together. This won't be me reading to you. This will be us reading these sections of Scripture together. Then we'll move into a time where we'll spend just a few minutes uh, praying individually or with the people that you came with. Maybe you're with family or community group, and so you could huddle up together uh, if they're right next to you and pray with each other. Uh, and if you're uh, here alone, just pray by yourself. And, and, uh, and then we'll move into a, a, a worship song that will lead us out of that and into the next movement. And so we'll do that for family, church, and for government and then we'll get a little bit of teaching time. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together today, which we've not done corporately in a while, which I'm really excited about. So we're going to start this morning by um, focusing on uh, the family, okay? And so we've got a section of Scripture. We've got Psalm 127 um, that we're going to read together. Uh, by the way, as we pray, uh, we're going to have on these screens some bullet points of things that you can specifically pray for relevant to each topic. But if you will go to watermark.org slash pray, you will see a much longer list with more details. And so as you're praying, if you want to use the stuff up on the screen, that's great. If you want some more information, watermark.org slash pray will have all of that stuff there as well, okay? So let's get going. We're going to read Psalm 127 together, and then we'll move into a, a couple minutes of prayer, okay? So join me in the public reading of God's Word. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of, of anxious toil. For he gives to his, his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Okay, so now let's spend a couple minutes praying for our families at this church, okay? There'll be some stuff on the screen.
just a reminder, I know there'll be some up and down this morning, but whenever we sing, thank you for continuing just to serve and prefer one another by wearing your masks. He still hears a promise. So we're going to worship the Lord together this morning.
can clap for that, absolutely. So you'll remember in week two, Blake Holmes taught us that the family's job is to provide, right? Remember that? And the government's job is to protect. And so we wanna spend some time now uh, thinking about and praying for our government, for its leadership um, and for its impact, okay? So let's read, we've got Psalm 47 teed up that I'd like us to read together, okay? Here we go. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Amen. Okay, so let's spend the next couple minutes praying for our government leaders. We're going to put it on the screen. Pray for them by name, our president, vice president, Supreme Court, local leaders, and government. Okay, we'll come back up in just a few minutes.
this morning. Say, come awaken. for the church, I want to remind you that if we expect revival to come to this land, it has to start in this room. It has to start in the chair that I sit in, in the chair that you sit in. And so we're going to spend some time praying for the church, both our local expression of the Bride of Christ called Watermark Community Church and the larger church in America that God would create and stir in us revival. We've selected this morning for the scripture to read together Romans 12, and I want to remind you that this section of scripture was written to a people group, a church in Rome. It wasn't written individually for David Leventhal, it was written for, for the church as a part of the body of Christ. And when the church behaves, conducts themselves, lives and loves the way that God calls us to in Romans 12, it is transformative in the city in which we live. So join me in reading Romans 12, 9 to 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, 
Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who bless you, uh, who persecute you, and bless those do not curse. I'm sorry. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let's spend the next couple minutes praying for our church here at Watermark and for the broader church in America.
Friends, let's all stand and sing in Christ alone.
with me, Father. Thank you, God, that we get to hear your word in song and in word today, preaching. Lord, would you open our hearts now? Would you transform us? Would you inform our minds, our hearts, our lives, our city by your word now? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I, it would be hard for me to overstate how uh, important what we just did was to stand down and to come before the Lord in prayer for our families and for our government and for our church. There is just about no better way we could spend our time. And that helps us center our hearts on God. But there are other ways that we can also center our hearts on God. And I want to talk this morning about one that we don't talk about very much, which is the discipline of fasting. Okay, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning teaching on the topic of fasting. First, what is fasting? Just so we can define the playing field. To put simply, uh, fasting is the deliberate temporary abstaining of food. Okay? And there's a lot of reasons folks fast. For health reasons, for spiritual reasons, and other reasons. Okay? But at its core, it is the giving up of food or giving up of something for something greater. And for our purposes this morning, this shouldn't be a surprise, I want to focus on the topic of fasting as a mechanism for spiritual growth. Okay? So that's what it is. Now, uh, what you should be asking, hopefully, over the years, if you've been here for a while, is, hey, is fasting biblical? Because we want every topic we discuss, we want to know what does God's word say about that topic. And so Scripture speaks a lot about the topic of fasting. I don't have time to unpack all that it says, but here's what I want you to know. I want you to know a couple things. One, in Scripture, fasting frequently occurs around times of mourning, repentance, and major decisions. In the Scripture, fasting often occurs around times of mourning, repentance, and major decisions. And as you were to read Scripture, you would see that a lot of the uh, guys and gals that we hold up as heroes of the faith fasted. The, in fact, the entire nation of Israel fasts every year for the Day of Atonement. Moses fasted, King David fasted, Elijah the prophet fasted, Queen Esther fasted, Daniel fasted, Anna the prophetess fasted, John the Baptist fasted, Apostle Paul fasted, and let's not forget our Savior Jesus Christ, who spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting in the midst of temptation. So hopefully that little bit will serve to you as, yes, this is a biblical topic. It is all throughout Scripture. And we have not only that, but we also have Jesus who himself taught specifically on the topic. And I want to touch on two sections of Scripture where Jesus specifically dealt with this topic, okay? The first is in Matthew 6. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which if you recall, if you were here, we taught, we spent the whole summer of 2019. Ah, you remember the summer of 2019? <laughs> we spent the whole summer of 19 teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of that is Matthew 6. Let me read you the passage and let me just highlight a couple of observations. Jesus to his disciples, those that were listening. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when we look at these words, let me just highlight three things. One, this section on fasting comes right in the middle of Jesus also teaching about prayer and about giving, okay? So you got giving, prayer, and fasting. And so it sure seems like Jesus assumes that part of the life of discipleship would include prayer, giving, and fasting. That seems like the idea that he's communicating there. Two, 
Jesus says, when you fast, which certainly implies that those who are following Jesus would participate, would participate in, in uh, fasting. And lastly, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is largely focused on contrasting the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the day who had taken God's law and expanded it to such an unhealthy spot and had made it legalistic and were participating in things for show so that they could look all big and bowed up. And Jesus is contrasting that wicked, sinful behavior with the true intent of God's law. And in the case of fasting, the intent of God's law, uh, the intent of God's heart was to come before the Father who sees in secret to help center your heart on God, not to be a show. Look how spiritual I am. So those are three things from Matthew 6 that I think are instructive to where we're going. But Jesus also talks about it in Mark chapter 2, okay? In Mark chapter 2, I won't, I don't have to, again, I wish I had more time to explain all that's going on here, but let me just read the passage and highlight a couple of things for you. This is Mark 2, 18 to 20. Now, John's disciples, John the Baptist, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came to said to him, to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Let me pause real quick. Bridegroom is a weird word to me because it's just not one we use. So if you're confused about bridegroom like I was, like it just means the groom. I don't know why they call it the bridegroom, but it's just the groom. Okay, so can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So again, let's focus on verse 20 of this passage. Then the days will come when the bridegroom, the groom is taken away, and in this context, Jesus is the groom. Uh, and when he's taken away, then they will fast in that day. And so it's reasonable based on the entire gospel narrative that in that day refers to after Jesus was di- uh, died, he was resurrected, and then he ascended to the Father, you remember? And he brought the Spirit down. And it was after Jesus removed, is that his removal where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that time for them to fast is after Jesus' ascension. We call that the church age, which is where we are today. And so it sure seems like Jesus assumes his disciples in the church age would participate in fasting. So now what's the point of fasting? Okay. So I've explained hopefully that you see that it's biblical. I've talked about how Jesus talked about it, and it sure seems like it would be something we would participate in. But what's the point of it? Let me first share with you two things that it's not. I think it's helpful to take some things off the table up front so that you know, whatever fasting is, this is what it's not. The first thing that it's not is it is not a lucky rabbit's foot that is going to somehow make God be at your beck and call. Okay, God is not a genie. So we don't, we don't rub a, a rabbit's foot or rub a lamp and, and, and get three wishes. That's not how God works. So whatever fasting is, it's not having God at your beck and call like a dog. That's not how it works. And two, fasting uh, does not make God love you anymore. And this is important. Sometimes we can feel, particularly in the circles that, that sometimes we run with, that if I will just do more, God will somehow love me more or be more impressed or I'll make it to the varsity team. And there is no varsity JV team in the body of Christ. You either know Jesus Christ and are part of the family or you don't. Those are your two options. And so as we think about fasting, we need to remember that fasting and prayer and giving and Bible reading, all that stuff is a, is a healthy, necessary part of discipleship to, to get us to know the Father. But God is not more impressed with you if you fast, okay? 
God has demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Paul says in Romans. So that's what fasting is not, okay? Now, let me turn to give you three things, I think, the purpose of fasting, okay? One, and this first one is miles in front of number two. So it's going to be one, two, three, but think about one as being like so much more important than number two and number three, okay? The first reason, purpose of fasting, is to center our hearts on God. Fasting should be God-focused, prayer-infused, and Scripture-filled, okay? Fasting is about centering our hearts on the heart of the Father. And so when we go before God and we say, hey, I'm going I'm to go without fasting and the time that I would have used to eat and prepare, I'm going to then spend in, in purposeful, diligent time to come before you in your word and pray and get my heart sunk up with yours. That's the primary purpose of fasting is to align our hearts with the Father's. Number two, a distant two. Fasting reveals things in our lives that control and enslave us. There's nothing like going without food or coffee and feeling the hunger pangs in your stomach to help you reveal you've got some imperfections that sometimes because of the food we eat and the coffee we drink, whatever, we don't have a chance to let those things bubble to the surface. But when you go without, you'll be surprised at how quickly some of those impurities will bubble to the top. And those are the things, because God loves you, he wants to help weed out of your life those works of the flesh. He wants to get rid of them, okay? So fasting helps bring those to the surface. And number three... Fasting reminds us that we can be sustained by the word of God. Okay, Moses has this thing he says in Deuteronomy 8, and Jesus affirms it in Matthew 4. Remember I said Jesus fasted? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. Now listen, it says Jesus was hungry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And Jesus was tempted by the devil. And at one point the devil comes to him and tempts Jesus who had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights with bread. Okay. So that's a, remember, Jesus was fully man and fully God. So he understood what it felt like to be hungry and to be tired and to feel the energy sap from your body. He has all of that. He, under, he has categories for that because he was fully man. And the devil comes in and says, if you'll worship me, I'll turn this rock into bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. And when's the last time you quoted Deuteronomy when you were tempted? Jesus did. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there is something very real about the fact that when we decide to go without, when we decide to feast on the word of God and fast from our Chick-fil-A, that we are able to be sustained in a way that we would have never experienced without going without food. As we dive into God and we discover that it can sustain us through seasons of times when we're not eating. So that's the third purpose of fasting. Now, you may be asking yourself, that's super helpful, Lev. Uh, what's the point? What's your so what? So here's my so what. We are calling our body, our members, to join with leadership tomorrow in fasting, Monday, November 2nd, in a day of fasting for our country, for our families, and for our church. And we don't want to send you out without giving you some instruction on why and what and the reasons why, okay? So uh, that's what we're doing. We're asking, because remember I said earlier that fasting frequently occurs around times of mourning and repentance and major decisions. And my goodness, if there were ever three things that this country needed to do, it's mourn over our sin, it's repent of our sin, and it's center ourselves on what does God think about elections and government and presidents. And so we want to jump in tomorrow and pray and fast and go before the Lord to center our hearts 
on all of those topics. So that's what we're calling our members to participate in. Now, I said earlier that Jesus was teaching in a certain amount about the public-private nature of fasting, and he said, don't be like a hypocrite. And so as we think about this, I just would throw this out there for your consideration. Probably not a great idea to take a picture of like an empty cup or an empty bowl with like a hashtag fasting on there for your Instagram account. Like, don't do that. Then you've received a reward. This is going to be something that we're calling our body to do in a private way. And private, in our context, certainly includes, would include your community group, okay? Um, so uh, we're going to call you to pray. We're going to call you to do it in private with community groups. And I also want to acknowledge that this has been a hard season. And I know that there are community groups in this body who um, are at a really hard spot because there's been divisiveness. There has not been an, uh, an outdoing one another in honor. There have been making minor things major things with respect to the election, with respect to COVID responses. And there are some broken relationships in this body. And there is no better way to begin to move back towards one another than with prayer, with scripture reading, and with fasting. And so if that's you or somebody in your community group, then I'm going to encourage you, we're going to encourage you, God would encourage you to begin the process of restoration and reconciliation. So what should you do? For those of you, some of you may have never fasted before. And so let me just give you some things to think about tonight, uh, this afternoon, tonight, and tomorrow. So this afternoon, I'd come up with a plan, right? Have a plan for what tomorrow might look like for you. Um, discuss with your community group if, if you need. If you've never fasted before, you might consider uh, a light fast. So sun up to sunset, maybe water and juice only, or maybe water, juice, and some vegetables. Um, some of you might consider fasting. Uh, so Sunday night would be your last meal until Tuesday morning. So you're going to take the full 24-hour period off and just drink water or maybe water and juice. Uh, it can look different. Okay, there's freedom here. It doesn't have to all look the same. Because God is honored as we move towards him. And listen, if it doesn't go the way you think it should go, if you're, if you're maybe hoping that God would give you some incredible insight or revelatory experience and you don't happen or you get just this crazy headache all day long, that's okay. The process is good. It's a heart that moves towards the Father. He always loves that. He always loves that, okay? So don't get hung up on, on that. We're going to send out tomorrow morning. I'm sorry. So that, that's what I would do this afternoon is develop a plan and recognize there's freedom in what that plan looks like. Tonight, you might skip the double-double or the 16-ounce greasy ribeye in favor for something a little bit lighter and cleaner. Uh, and then I'd try and get in bed earlier. And then tomorrow morning when you wake up, before your feet hit the ground from the bed, just pray and ask God, give him the day. And ask that the whole day would be helped uh, centering your heart on his heart. And before you even get out of bed, we're going to send you an email first thing in the morning, a special edition of our weekly email called The Current that will have in there, you've got a prayer and fasting guide in your watermark news that will be online. And then the things we prayed for today will also be in the current and some other resources. And so you can use that as a tool throughout your day. And when you feel your stomach ache from hunger or maybe your head hurts from a lack of caffeine, don't run from that. Allow that uncomfortableness to drive you back into God's word and to remind you of your frailty and that you do, in fact, need God for every single step of your day. Let it drive you to prayer. Maybe create a playlist of some songs that would encourage you and drive you back to Jesus. Connect with others in your community group to pray. Okay? So that's the recap. We're calling our members to join us in praying and fasting, uh, praying specifically for our families, for our churches, and for our government as we head into this election on Tuesday. Okay? So that's what we're asking you to do. Let me, let me hit the clutch a little bit and change gears here. Um, we haven't talked about fasting in a while. We also haven't taken communion corporately in a while. And we're going to do that this morning. Um, it's been a while since we've done that, so let me just remind folks that when we take communion, we are uh, 
remembering the Lord Jesus Christ and we're thanking him for his broken body and his shed blood on the cross. That's what communion is. And there's a couple of things we want to keep in mind. Okay, one is that when we take communion, this is a family event. So this is for believers only. And so if you are here and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're a guest or you're checking out the faith, we could not be more thrilled that you would allow us a couple hours of your week. But we want you to know this is a family meal. It's only for those who have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins as a free gift of God that you cannot earn. And if you don't know what that means, we would love to talk to you about that. Number two, if you're a believer, you need to know that there, it's possible to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, in a way that would bring judgment on you. And Paul talks about this. And if there is unrepentant sin in your life, if there is unhealthy division amongst a brother or sister in Christ, God wants you to deal with that so you can come to the table with a clean heart, okay? Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He writes, um, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, church, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And so remember, when Paul wrote this, the church in Corinth, they weren't taking a little juice and cracker wafer that is prepackaged in a single unit to be COVID-friendly, we got. Uh, they were having a full meal. And in that meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in, in the church in Corinth, they were having a really hard time. There was divisiveness. The people that were wealthy were getting full, and the people who didn't have resources weren't eating. There were folks who were showing up drunk. And so Paul is correct and said, listen, when you come to the table, you come and you should do some self-examination before you come to the table, okay? And so we want to give you guys, as we're going to be passing out the elements, we want to give you a chance to do some self-reflection. And if your heart is not in a good spot, if you're a believer, we would simply ask, God would tell you, don't take the communion. Go when you're done here and go be reconciled with that brother or sister you're, you're in conflict with. Or go confess and deal with the sin that you've been hiding. I, just in full transparency, I had an interaction this week with a brother that did not go well. And it was mostly, it was, it was entirely my fault. And there was, there was a break in the relationship. And I had the thought as I was preparing, I can't take communion right now. I've got to have some more conversations with this brother. And I did. And we talked through it. I was able to own my part. And, all, and so we're reconciled now. And so I am clean before the Lord in that interaction. And I don't know if you've got that, but if you do, you should go and be reconciled. God takes that very seriously. Um, okay, let me give you some just instructions because we haven't done this in a while. So as I mentioned, these are prepackaged. Top layer has the wafer, peel that off. Bottom layer has the grape juice. If you're in the sanctuary or in an overflow room, the loft or, or the chapel, we're going to bring the elements to you. We're going to use those empty rows and we're going to bring it to you. And you can simply let us know that you are ready to take the Lord's Supper just by putting your hand out and we'll put it in your hand, okay? If you are in the overflow room, I'm sorry, if you're in the town center upstairs, if you're out in the town center upstairs, there'll be a table set up by the loft where you can go grab the elements from there. If you're in the town center downstairs by the coffee shop, whatever, we'll have these little guys set up at the welcome center. You can come and grab them. We would ask that you hold them so we could all take communion together. And for those who are joining us via the stream, we're going to put up on the screen while we're doing this internally as a family together, we're going to put up John 17. We're going to let that scripture scroll through. And we would ask that you read, if you're with family, read it aloud. Pray through what John 17, what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer. That's what we're going to ask those of you who are joining us in the stream to do, okay? So uh, the, the team is going to sing a song to help you prepare your heart. Folks will come around and pass the elements out, and then we'll come and we'll take it together, okay?
gave me life and healed my heart. You saved me from a million scars. Now I call him Father. He calls me friend. This is who he says I am. He is my Savior. He is my King. He filled my soul with songs to sing. He is my freedom, my liberty. This is why, it's why I'm free. my story this is my song ashes to glory darkness to dawn and hallelujah the cross is enough I once was lost now I am loved he came to earth he put on skin he gave his blood a tone for sin and by his power and by his name this is how it's how i'm saved this is my story this is my song ashes to glory
church in Corinth, and um, he shared, for that passage to come up there, uh, that he, uh, well, let's see here, keep going, keep going, there we go, so Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks, I want to just... Let me just pause right there for a moment. I don't want to, I don't want to miss this. I want, you to, I want you to see these words that, that Paul puts in there, that Jesus was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed, one of his closest men betrayed him. He says he took the bread, he broke it after giving thanks. So in the same night, Jesus knows what's coming down the pipe for him. He knows that he is about to be betrayed. He's going to go through a trial. He's going to be tortured. He's going to ultimately be nailed on a cross. And yet he gives thanks for the way that God has provided for them for their food. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Christ. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now we're going to sing a song. We're going to get a chance to sing a song and celebrate the majesty of Jesus Christ, our King. Please stand and join us in song. Holy One, 
Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and that those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it is for this reason that I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may together with all the saints be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen.
Bay Church, can I remind you that King Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he will be on Wednesday, November the 3rd. He is not stressed by this election, okay? All hail King Jesus. Doesn't matter who's in the White House, Jesus is King. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a chance to be with my friends this morning and I pray that you would center our hearts on you. I pray that you would help us to remember that nothing is gonna separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. I pray that you would help us to remember that you are on your throne. You are not caught off guard by COVID, by elections, by job losses, by suffering, by pain. You are aware of it all and you sent your son to come deal with it eternally. I pray for my friends in this room who are hurting, who are heavy laden, who are anxious, that the peace of Christ would move into their lives in a very tangible way starting today. Thank you for the privilege of getting to remember the broken body and the shed blood of your son sent to die for my sin. I pray that we would constantly remember him and that our lives would look differently as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we live in a lost, struggling, confused, anxious, divisive world. And it has been given the task to us to be salt and to be light, to be a city on a hill in the midst of a dark world. This week, starting today, we get a chance to be God's men and to be God's women in Dallas County and around the world. Let's go, church. If you don't know Jesus, we would love nothing more than to introduce you to our King. We'll have folks down here as long as we need to stay. For the rest of us, let's have a great week of worship. Love you guys.